Hello and welcome to Co-Intel Hose. Today we have a very special guest for you. I'm your host, Poppy, and I'm here with my co-host, Fergie. And we are here with Amy Therese. Um, Yes. Amy, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience uh, for those of them who don't know you? Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm Amy Therese. Um, I'm the co-host of What's Left podcast. Um, And I'm also a specter that haunts left Twitter. Every waking thought. Yes. She's here in the flesh. That's right. Well, we're socially distanced, but it's an honor um, because Amy. Oh, no, thank you for having me. No, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, Because we both, we became familiar with your work through just like the spectacle of the entire left literally painting you as a Nazi and the entire infrastructure of just like these legitimating narratives to say that you (laughs) deserve it and nobody really pushing back. And I mean, it was really one of the most like brutal and reputational destroying smear campaigns from the entire media left that I've ever seen targeted towards like an independent thinker with no institutional backing. And, you know, you can absolutely say the same uh, for Angela Nagel. But, you know, like when you're in leftist circles, you just suspend like your critical faculty so much for everything else that they're doing. And so it would like ordinarily feel intuitively wrong. You just kind of learn to suppress it. Um, And so I didn't know or look into why I just like knew not to go there. But then the glaring contradictions of just existing on the media left. And I know it's the same for Poppy with all the thought policing that we were experiencing, like really drove me to ask, well, why are all these big left toys going after this tiny Australian woman with no institutional backing (laughs) so fervently? Um, And, you know, around the same time, like Poppy and I were experiencing the real brutality of the vampire's castle as well and so through just the process of like finding out why i realized that your counterintuitive takes or what seemed like counterintuitive takes really were just uncovering political truths that like otherwise would be sublimated into this like discursive process and and that's the whole reason why they had to bury you like you just really you cut through <laughs> like all the mental gymnastics and the obfuscation on the left to essentially get to the root of the thing and to look it in the face and like examine it for what it is and like you've really helped me you know sort of analyze like what is a political project purporting to do and what is it actually doing um so I'm sorry I'm like rambling but I I know a little bit about your history but for our audiences do you mind telling us a little bit about how you came to be involved in leftist circles yeah sure sure so like I So I did sort of um, like IRL, (laughs) do you even organize bro? (laughs) So I did like just some very like banal type political stuff, like uh, both a little bit at university and then also just with like um, local branch of the Labour Party about 12 years ago. Um, But I just, I realized after a time that like it wasn't, it was, yeah, like maybe, like when I just finished school. But I realized after a time it just like wasn't for me. It wasn't like a, I don't know. I, it became pretty clear that sort of like everything that was going on in the little like branches and stuff was basically the same in the Greens. It was the same in the Liberal Party. So mm. it was just like basically I figured like this is just, this is not going to, it's a bit of a waste of time. And also I'm not like, um, I don't really like 
do like I like politics and I like sort of strategy and stuff but I don't like um sort of like Machiavellian like rat fuckery it's just not my thing you know what I mean and I just feel like so much of those type of organizations you sort of like inherently kind of have to engage in rat fuckery and it's just not my thing so I sort of pretty quickly realized like oh this isn't for me whatever move on get on with your life (laughs) um what led you to the uh analysis that you you have now in terms of the way that you kind of show the emperor has no clothes oh Um, not just in terms of the left as it op- as it operates um politically but also in terms of the media left and how it also operates as well well you know it's interesting like so so i sort of came on twitter in 2017 and i was just posting because i was very interested in sort of like what was happening with the, like the trump sanders corbyn moments because in australia we just have like very neoliberalized, like quote unquote, end of history era mm-hmm. type politics. Even to this day, like it's just still so bureaucratic and like administrative, just this like kind of managerial state where like the actual politics of anything are totally sublimated to this like bureaucratic bullshit. It's just like uh, very, yeah, you never really reckon with what's actually going on here. And basically, we just follow in the footsteps of. Um, Britain and the states so um, so I was posting about the sort of you know Corbyn Sanders Trump stuff in like 2017 and after time like I I sort of became I became friends with like Michael Brooks and Adam Proctor and some other leftoids um, and then Adam asked me to do his show with him Dead Pundits mm. in early 2018 so I did that for the better part of a year um and during that time I'd sort of like um like come to be friendly with some of the like Jacobin types (coughs) excuse me some of the Jacobin types and like some of the leftoids over there and stuff um and then in early 29 no early yeah early 2019 sorry um when we were sort of heading to it, it was like the beginning of the primary season, the democratic primaries. And um, eventually Adam sort of got upset and asked me to leave. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess so. (laughs) Um, But so myself and Benjamin's, yeah, like, and I didn't quite know why at the time I didn't get it. I thought it was just like some weird idiosyncrasy. And I was like, do people not like me like have you had like bad feedback or anything it's like no everyone like not loved me but like there was no you know the listeners liked me the the podcast had been growing the entire time i was on there but you know i just my interest very much was just sort of furnishing sounders with arguments and like um sort of just helping in the primary process that's what i was interested in doing i was never taking a salary or anything i was still working at my job so you know uh, but i mean it's fine at the end of the day it was uh, it was fine i was a bit overwhelmed at first i was like huh that was weird um but then myself and benjamin studebaker um created what's left um and so we worked on that together for a year um basically towards the end of the Sanders campaign he sort of I think felt a bit dis 
disillusioned and like no longer, you know, I think the fractures between my politics and his are sort of mm. coming wider apart. And if I'm being entirely real, I think also um, because he's in an academic institution and mm. because there'd been, I think, considerable pressure from other um, like hoishi toishis um, <laughs> in relation to some of the things I was saying that were unauthorized. Um, I think it just was too much pressure for somebody who wants to basically have an academic career. I mean, that's speculation on my part, but I think that had a considerable um, amount to do with it. Um, yeah, but so over the course of the primary, what became very, very clear to me was that um, the sort of, like that this is just a that this thing is not what I thought it was insofar mm. as there were some very obvious things that one would be doing if one actually wanted Sanders to win. Um, and that would be you would not give even a moment a moment to somebody like an Elizabeth Warren. You'd make very plain from the start um, that she was mm -hmm. sort of imitating what was popular about his 2016 campaign in an effort to um, peel off some of his base from 2016. Like this mm. was self-evident from the beginning and it was also self-evident from the beginning that anything purporting to be a quote-unquote socialist publication um, should not be going near somebody who, you know, just a couple of months earlier was giving interviews describing herself as a capitalist to her bones, <laughs> you know? Um, so it thing. just was that's very bizarre. Yeah, that's the oh. thing. The culmination of your um the the culmination of your sort of political process in terms of how you entered the media plus the way you sort of um you know transitioned into this critique has caused like a very strong reaction towards yeah, you among yeah. that sort of uh, left milieu and it's a it's a very 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 hostile reaction and like Fergie was saying um at the beginning that was sort of what initially drew us to your critique is that we were sort of experiencing a lot of the same but for much milder critiques yeah, which exactly. is the irony of it yeah um for much milder and more sort of uh you know and i guess less confrontational critiques we were sort of receiving similar treatment and it was what then sort of uh, uh prompted us to further examine some of your critiques but my question i guess uh moving on is how do you stay sane in this sort of um, pressurized environment it's something that i've always been very curious in terms of asking because it's been very difficult for both poppy and i just not just like uh in terms of career but also psychologically to deal with the heat of these sorts of um pushbacks and sort of remain based or nonchalant in that regard because the way that they maneuver is dirty and punitive and uh like you said at the beginning it's sort of this catty bitch oh, mode of yeah. operation yeah it's but it's also it's just so like overwhelmingly scotched just that you almost can't believe it and you feel like you're sort of mm -hmm, like missing yeah. something like you can't like yeah. you're not quite putting it all into place and you're like wait i don't quite get yeah. it like surely that's wait what um so first off i'm never gonna i'm never gonna like i think I'm never going to sort of let these people, like, I'm not going to, um, like, change what I believe or change what I advocate based on, like, people being abusive because that's just disgusting. Like, yeah. you can't form a politics based on the discipline of a bunch of, like, a, 
bunch of like janitorial babies. Um, I mean, they've done a, they've done such a good job of like making it literally impossible for me to like build any kind of yeah. anything. Like, uh, um, you know, it's very frustrating. Like they can do what they do and it will be effective economically in a market sense because like if you treat this as a commodity then yeah cartel behavior will squeeze someone else out of that market um but i think at the end of the day and this is something i was saying to them even during the primary is that like at the end of the day like this only works like within your bubble like mm. that's the only place that you uh king of the castle is within this like noxious group of like you know upper ash like you know incredibly wealthy incredibly influential people but like nobody else likes this like nobody yeah. so so like at the end of the day like the contradiction between you pretending pretending to do some kind of like quote-unquote working class politics and just being the most obnoxious hate-filled like contemptible um group of elites that i've ever encountered it's like, this is going to keep fracturing and I'm going to be there describing what you're doing every step of the way. And I think one of the reasons why they're so insistent on doing it to me is that for some ungodly reason, maybe it's autism, maybe it's ADHD, <laughs> I don't quite know. But I've inadvertently, am always sort of able to see what they're doing sort of at the very beginning of when they're doing Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. And so I think, I don't know why this is. It's just some weird thing. Um, well, Amy, I think you sell yourself short. I mean, really, like your methodology of critical analysis has helped me and Poppy sort of like trust our intuition more because a lot of the a lot of these things that yes, seem Yes, you trust your intuition more. That's good. Yeah, no, really. Like, I think people generally have an intuitive feeling about so much of it, but because it's so like reality denying and they don't really have the tools to maybe like visualize different ontological frameworks, like... From the very first episode of What's Left I listened to, I could just sort of intuit that your intellectual project wasn't a project that was prepackaged in any way to like, you know, ready made to be marketed and sold. And really, it was like the result of like relentless and, and <laughs> relentless and ruthless pursuits of truth and like really to great personal oh, expense. Thanks. And like, <laughs> no, I, I mean, you haven't had any material gain at all until now, which thankfully, like the pod can uh, compensate you a little bit. But like, it's been like years. Yeah, I'm just stoked. Like, if I can pay my rent, I'm happy. That's man. great. <laughs> like, that's all. That's all I want. Like, <laughs> but I think also like the like the ideological confusion that you produce, and just the immense like immunosuppressive responses that you get for saying things that are just relevant, like before they expire politically. Like, I think that is so valuable. Yeah, it's pretty and, naughty. Like, I think it's, like... it's very fash. No, no, it's 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 so valuable because it like shows people that they're not insane for intuitively feeling that something is wrong because everything is so constrained. Wrong, yeah. Yeah, and it's so it, interesting it, to me what... the ways in which... Oh, yeah, Sorry, it's so ahead, interesting how ahead. it's... how it's This stuff seems to percolate on the left and then, like, maybe six or 12 months later, it somehow then is, like, in the mouths of, like, other bread tubers trying to cancel, cancel right. like, 
those among them and i'm like wait no we've we've been here before this is a nonsense like what are you talking how they're resurrecting uh-huh. the cost reduction is crap like how yeah. come that's being flung at people i thought we went through all this bullshit a year ago like this is a nonsense like what's happening yeah. here and it's just it's, i guess it's really it's interesting they sort of seem like the vanguard of this shit really is that little left eyed bubble and then it spreads yeah from there out well so much of your work yeah really... it's interesting though because is this what is this what sorry yeah it's interesting though because is this what allows you to have a certain amount of emotional distance from Mm, the you know kind of punitive phenomenon that's going on around you um is is sort of seeing it through this lens what allows you to not get too emotionally involved because really and truly one of their major tactics has been psychological and sort of moral yeah i mean towards people mm. It makes me sad. It really does. Like, not just for my... I mean, occasionally for myself. Like, I was looking online the other day and just... Because I just got um, kicked off Twitter again by just, like, this utter pedant. Yeah. Um, And uh, I guess I was reading some of the reply. I guess the one thing I'll never quite get used to is um, people treating other people as means, not ends. Um, and maybe I sound really Catholic or Kantian, um, you know, a bit deontological, whatever. But, but I really don't think that um, anything purporting to be like a quote-unquote working-class politics can be one that treats people as, um, as means rather than as ends, you know? Mm. Like, I think if you can't just be like decent other people, like whatever you're doing, it's it's not a project that's gonna actually do something for working class people. Like I mean, yeah. I'm I'm no longer committed to the no. I'm no longer convinced of the notion that these petty bourgeois assholes can do anything for working people anyway. Mm. But like even on its own terms, um, if you just can't like they, they just don't treat other people with dignity or respect. So it felt a bit sad, like seeing all like the idea that you have people who who you'll sort of like engage with for you know a year two years three years whatever and then um just like as the cancellations ramp up and up they just do 180 and it's just made like too difficult for them to bother defending you and that's such a like overt and i think honestly kind of sociopathic part of their methodology is just like fracturing any kind of loyalty any kind of like humanity any kind of friendship like just just like weaseling in on that and like splitting people apart and so you see these people who you've been friends friends or friendly with for a considerable amount of time just like saying horrible things about you and you're just like wait what that's strange but i mean at the end of the day uh something i sort of realized was that like i um had a couple of close like a couple of friends that i made online like very early on and myself and the two of them were in a dm for a very long time um like throughout the primary and then throughout like 2020 and stuff and so um that was very stabilizing and then i also had um a couple of other friends that um yeah that were sort of they had been sort of leftist for a time and then sort of weren't so much that way oriented anymore. And they were very like, just totally saw what was happening and were just like very supportive and like, um, that was reassuring. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you can't base 
sort of your self-regard or your politics on kind of the the this like algorithmic bullshit so i mean i um i don't close off like learning more or sort of having conversations that will make me think differently about things um but i think uh like if you're I mean, you can do something amounting to like sort of going viral for political takes, but that's not going to be similar to sort of what I'm trying to do. Yeah, you know what definitely. I mean. So like the the market response isn't one that I necessarily care about. It's only when people sort of um, purport to be friendly with you, and then they're actually like I guess it's it's the conflagration I think among anarchist circles between um the political and the personal that i think gets very scary yeah. so like rather than just being direct and clear about like what is a political thing what's a personal thing whatever they just mash that all together so like i thought i was friendly with a bunch of those people from jacobin not friends as such but friendly like yeah. we got on well we've done things together and so rather than just like messaging me behind the scenes and being like oh actually this is what's up just so you know so like whatever instead it has to be all this like cancellation and bullshit and whatever and it's just like why can't you just like tell me what's up instead of like doing this this way you know but then they'll like then they'll they'll sort of like play hot and cold so they'll get like one of them to message you like as a friend oh but then another one of them is like canceling you in public and it's just like why can't any of you just be direct so spineless this would be so much easier honestly amy yes it's really just it's like slimy like you guys grow but, up just tell me what's up and i can respond accordingly it's specific <laughs> it's specifically it's specifically it's specifically psychological abuse yes it very and much is it's yeah. sort of si- it's similar to cult tactics like once you know a member of a cult isn't behaving in a certain way the cult sort of has an antibody response fully to the yes. dissident fa- yeah action and it's mm. it's similar to the kind of cult programming stuff that you see in like doomsday cults mm. and like scientology that's, so that's what i started yeah. saying and that it, they're like yeah. when prophecy fails so they do this thing and i started saying it during the primary and then during the primary it started being born out where i was like they do this thing where they're like winning 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 robbed and it's like the prophecy yeah. can never be disproven the prophecy is only like when they when they lose they can't yeah. lose they can only be robbed you just keep right like and shifting then, the goalposts like, then it's always yeah, on the horizon yeah the horizon <laughs> is always you just like move it forward this horizon politics and it's just like at the end of the day you realize like this is actually just like um a market commodity mm. Like, they're just selling jouissance. Like, that thing is always just, like, just around the corner. It's just a few steps ahead. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, this isn't a politics that has anything to do with the things it purports to be about and everything to do with sort of just this, like, emotional management, like, therapeutic consumption Mm. for middle-class kids. Because you hear them talk about, Mm. like, the politics, like, you hear them talk about the loss after Bernie and literally, like, to the extent they talked about anything, it was literally about their own feelings and about how you are entitled to feel, how you're going to feel 
what to do about your feelings. Like just management all these after bullshit. the fact that they rat fucked him, like collectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah like it just like hand hand holding, like you know, r- like rubbing your hand on someone's back, like it's okay, sweetie, it's gonna be okay. I'm like, but is nobody gonna talk about like the actual politics of the thing because you just took two hundred twenty million dollars from people who work in fucking yeah. Amazon warehouses yeah. and Walmart? Like, yeah. are we gonna talk yeah. about any of the politics? No, no, we get articles saying like bernie's campaign strategy was not the problem i'm like bitch he he literally had half of his like one third of his base stolen by a neoliberal shithead who came along and like pretended to be his 2016 campaign for the first half and then flipped this flip the switch in the second half like how is yeah, there not yeah you you have to at the end of a something that is actively political you have to deal with any of the mistakes that were made, even if I buy your premise that that it's going to be bigger than Bernie. That the only way that mm. could potentially ever be possible would be if you sat down and reckoned with, like, what we did right, what we did wrong, all that sort of thing. But that was never none of this. So you realize that this is just a sheepdogging operation, like. Didn't you get kicked off the first time for warning everyone about war and taking like big donor money from Carla Jervison and like rolling $10 million from the Senate fund? Like, uh, like that helped me understand yeah, that, was... that this is all one thing and just how yeah. much the Democratic Party is like contingent on pretending they're outsiders from the inside. And just yesterday, yeah. Warren yeah. was on Twitter talking about how she was like taking aim at regular people <laughs> buying stocks, was like calling them scam artists and market manipulators and so mm-hmm. on. And so, I mean, like all of this stuff yeah. now, this like total unmitigated censorship, like stranglehold of these oligarchs, like it's also blatant. So, like, what I wanted to ask you is, what sorts of, you know, like career building legitimation narratives do you think will come next in this era? Because I think like so much of your work involves applying like a historical lens to the left's legitimation narratives, especially like the ones in recent history. Um, they had to tell about neoliberalism, like after the crash and the academy, like to essentially make capitalism accountable. So that's kind of what I wanted to ask you, like in this new era of just like all of this stuff being so blatant, like what kind of um, legitimation narratives do you sort of predict will come next? Um, I'm, I mean, I'm apprehensive about predicting too yeah. much. I think I see to a huge extent um, everything I've seen from them since the election is just this like um, it's very frustrating insofar as like on the one hand, sometimes they're vaguely correct, sort of. But for the most part, it amounts to like um, just in like a, almost purely obfuscation that benefits the Democrats without actually sort of directly acknowledging what it's doing. So everything is implicit. So like they'll sort of say in relation to someone like an AOC getting like parlor kicked off the internet. Yeah. Um, you know, all this hardcore censorship and national security and, like, NATSEC state ramp up. Um, One of the things that just blew my mind is this article that was just, like, um, here's, like, five things other than censorship that that could be done right now. And they, like, went through a list of things that actually were kind of censorship anyway, but were just, like, less hardcore, um, including one of which was, like, reinstate the fairness doctrine, which is literally insane. Like the fairness doctrine was rolled out, it was repealed in 1987. Um, 
And if you were to reinstate the fairness doctrine today, that would be bad for the left. Like there's literally one even like mildly right-ish, like right of center um, mass media outlet now. Mm. And they're trying to get that kick, like they're trying to get Fox kicked off the air constantly. So it's kind of insane. Anyway, the point being, so I think they're trying to like feign like pressure and resistance on the Joe Biden campaign. Mm. I mean, the Joe Biden presidency, they say all this shit, like, here's what Joe Biden can do to, like, live up to his promises to labor, all this shit. And they're basically seeding the ground, like, doing all these takes that say all this fanciful shit that Joe Biden's obviously never going to do. And then when he doesn't do them, they can be like, well, um, Joe Biden has now failed. They can act all, like, shocked and chagrined that he did not, that, you know, they tried to push him left. Um, And, and, you know, Mm. with the NATSEC state stuff, it's the exact same. Like, they can be, you know, shocked and chagrined when it's all, like, totally starts violating civil liberties, starts destroying, like, you Mm -hmm. know, the things we all hold dear. They can just play Mm -hmm. dumb as opposed when it rolls around and be the critics then. So, like, the permanent position they take is, like, being critical but never being accountable, never being accountable to the fact that they told you to yeah. let this guy. Like they told you to elect him and then the very next day there's like, oh, let's fight Joe Biden. I'm like, how do you, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like, well, let's fight him now that we put him in office. Why did you put him in office? Like, what are you exactly. talking about? Are you serious? One of, the things, like, one, of the things, one of the things that you've talked about extensively that I found incredibly um, enlightening as a tactic that's sort of used by this liberal left milieu is the strength of weakness um would you like to sort of expound upon that concept for for our audience yeah yeah so basically i just think i sort of started noticing this actually with um oddly enough with me too um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and i really do think that some of these things like me too actually were a very instructive precursor to a lot of what we're seeing in politics at the present which is basically where people in a position of um actually not a weak position um conduct themselves as though they are dealing with the sort of discrimination, sexism, racism, whatever, of yesteryear um, and use that sort of like victimhood status, use the kind of like um, empathy or sympathy or moral legitimacy that they gain from that to sort of like weave a narrative of oppression um, that will then allow them to abuse their power because basically like if you are in a position of marginality or victimhood like if you are um being sort of dominated or subjugated um you're not the person who is exercising power and therefore you don't need to be held responsible or accountable yeah. um, for the consequences of the power you exercise, it's right? Just like, like a will it's just to power, right? So. Like a way for these like bourgeois women to assert yeah. power as a group. Um, That's one of that's one of the more terrifying things about it because I've experienced it on a personal level, just like a personal diatribe. I had a cousin who was disabled. Um, yeah. I think she had some form of cerebral palsy, but she was a complete and utter cunt, brutal nightmare. Like, I'm um, sorry. She Aww. stabbed me. She like stabbed me in the leg with like a cone, a comb oh when I, we were really young. But because she was disabled 
people would constantly cover for her and she would use it as like an excuse to just be absolutely monstrous to everybody and nobody could say anything and it's she sort of weaponized people's innate sense of um wanting to protect or um you know uh care for her yeah she weaponized that kind of innate fact in order to just be a horrible person to the people who were around her and there was nothing i could do because if i acted out if i punched her or if i did anything if i said anything about her then i'm automatically like the bad guy <laughs> yeah and it's the same it, it kind of I, and the reason why i sort of intuitively understood this phenomenon when i first encountered it was because i had encountered it mm. on that sort of personal level and it's this way of weaponizing people's empathy against us because you know within the social justice paradigm there's the idea of like original sin if you're from a privileged background then you're or innately congenitally like racist or sexist or whatever the fuck um and there's this sort of idea that people are inherently morally corrupt when most people are not like most people aren't sociopaths most people don't want to be mean or hurt other people most people want to cooperate with other people and you know live in relative peace with other people but they take that sort of innate desire for um you know community and togetherness and understanding and tolerance and sort of weaponize it against us and i see this going really ugly in a really ugly direction because i feel like very soon most people are just going to stop caring in totality i feel like it's sort of damaging our collective empathy and i feel like everyone's getting this sort of empathetic fatigue like in the similar way that nurses who like work in like on the front lines get like this sort of empathy fatigue i feel like everybody is sort of feeling this empathy fatigue because they're constantly sort of titillating those senses but for really cynical and fucked up reasons uh what do you think about this do you think that we're reaching the point where you know people are sort of going to completely reject this paradigm and become tired of it? Well, my concern... Okay, so two things. Number one, I think what we can't forget about is, like, the class contradictions actually are what is producing Mm. this. So, for instance, like, um, most... Like, so my primary concern with all this bullshit is that, like, when you set in motion a set of, like, very um, competitive disciplinary doctrines between, like, men and women or between races or whatever and then they are ra- like um sort of induct uh, uh institutionalized into kind of the law or the way we sort of administer bureaucratic institutions or whatever um quite often they're actually really quite reactionary so like for instance something like this whole like me too thing you end up with these regulatory codes that sort of don't um don't give women any kind of agency whatsoever things like this you know what i mean where it's like actually this is a pretty big step backwards um Absolutely. so there's sort of on the one hand they're quite literally reactionary like anything that involves this kind of manichian binary between victim and perpetrator is an inherently reactionary way to look at the world um and it will necessarily serve reactionary purposes when we sort of play it out as a cultural script. Um, and then secondly, it also enables, I think, um, the brutalization of people in the so-called privileged group by um, members of the sort of managerial, like, petite bourgeois mm. class. Like, 
So if you've got these discourses doing the rounds within kind of this like petty bourgeois media environment, such that like, you know, men are rapists or men are like, we live in a patriarchy, like all that bullshit. It enables um, basically like the conspicuous use of power against working class men in ways that um, just, uh, this just has like a disciplinary impact on working people, you know? So like if you can start to criminalize very innocuous, innocent shit, um, because you've decided like men are the enemy and women need to be protected, that will then all of a sudden it's a very easy way to criminalize working class men, you know? Um, and that I think happens quite a lot. Um, but moreover, I think the other, sorry, what was your question again? I think I was getting to the other it. half of the question. Um, the other half of the question was sort of the deleterious effect it has on everyone's sort of collective empathy. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So I think like relying on sort of like moral sentimentality and like empathy for your politics is an inherently like um, bourgeois phenomenon. Like bourgeois sentimentality has been with us for like the entirety of the kind of capitalist era. You had Marx and Engels talking about it as very much like a manifestation of class um and and i would also suggest that like today it remains the same even the social science suggests the same you know if you um people people's empathy is triggered by people who are like them right mm. like it's very difficult to empathetically like emotionally put yourself in the shoes of people whose experience you have no comprehension of um and so necessarily like even if you attempt to do that you're not you, you can't get it right right so like our, our sort of understanding of things is very much shaped by our experience of them so if we're doing this on a sort of subjective sentimental empathetic basis um, what you end up getting from a bunch of bourgeois people is this kind of like philanthropic, charitable, kind of paternalistic bullshit that kind of looks down on other people, treats them as kind of a servile, needy population, but then at the same time gets incredibly vicious if they have the audacity to speak back. Because this is like not about working people having any kind of agency or autonomy or doing anything like that um, enables them to be sort of like powerful. It's like it's this kind of mechanism of keeping actually subjugated populations in their place um, sort of by feeling sorry for them, empathetic towards them. And if you look at any one of these kind of things where we're instructed to be empathetic towards another group, you look underneath it, the political economy of the thing, and it totally reinforces the bourgeois class interests of the people pushing the empathy. It's just like, I'm so, yeah, yeah. It's a battering ram for their class interests with which you cannot argue lest you be like a horrible, horrible person. Like, then that's basically the point of it to a large extent. Like, I just, I think with the whole like empathy fatigue thing, one thing that scares the living shit out of me is what they're doing with the whole like race wars thing. Um, insofar as like I, and I got in a lot of trouble <laughs> for this, um, but I, I worry deeply about something like, you know, these basically predominantly rich white people, um, you know, painting and funding murals of someone like George Floyd. These sort of popped up all over the country in working class areas. <laughs> um, 
And to my mind, I actually do think like with the empathy fatigue thing and the just like sort of just feeling generally exhausted, I actually do think like making people sort of exhausted and demoralized is actually part of the point. Um, and if you look at sort of like late late stage Soviet era, like actually like uh, sort of inculcating a form of totalizing cynicism among the people is actually a very useful method of governance because then you've basically like uh, trained people to expect nothing, right? Like you just you just make them so fucking morally exhausted so they demand nothing, expect nothing of their leadership. Um, and I just, it's, to me, there's something so visceral about the idea of like making, like, I don't know, and maybe I'll put it in more human terms because that might be less intimidating for people but like I just it was so easy to I, I used to date an African-American guy and like his little nieces and nephews and I just imagined them like walking to school with this like George Floyd murals that are like two stories high day. whatever yeah that's horrible yeah mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. when when I was a kid I lived in Newtown no, when I was a young adult, sorry, not when I was a kid, young adult. I lived in Newtown in Sydney and there's this big mural that's like a, um, a indigenous Australian flag and then it's got like Martin Luther King and then I think I think an Australian, I think Charlie Parkins, like a, who did the Freedom Rides in Australia. Anyway, whatever, you get the point. But the mm-hmm. idea is that it's basically like um, sort of notable historical figures blah blah blah. and i understand it's petty booze to sort of hold up individual figures and you know obviously it's class forces that change history not sort of you know individual heroic men whatever but the point is like there was actually something inspirational there in terms of like um it sort of unified the idea of like people across different boundaries like different countries like an african-american guy and a sort of indigenous australian guy and then i'm pretty sure there was an aussie person there too or an australian flag or something that just sort of like unified the two um and then just other things like for instance like kathy freeman is an indigenous australian when i was growing up and i remember like sydney olympics atlanta olympics in 96 sydney in 2000 where she ran and when she won she um carried like the aboriginal flag and the australian flag and like this is very cool like this is i imagine that was like like you know for young indigenous kids there was something um aspirational in that you know and just to me, there's something that just scared the shit out of me. I just was sort of imagining my exes and nieces and nephews walking to school, having to like, like the only thing the state is showing you, the only thing you can imagine is that like, like the thing that gets hero, like ter- heroized, is that a word? <laughs> that like the only yeah. thing you can sort of look up to, the only thing you can expect from the state is to have like the knee of a police officer on your neck. Like yeah, that's how that's you get cool. held up in yeah. this society is by being killed. Yeah. And that's to me so scary. Like it almost licenses it in a way. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. The strength of weakness, the strength of weakness avenue is also one that's presented to minorities as a route to uh, power and then moral legitimacy for that power. Um, There is no black celebrity that you'll find or no black, or even within the left media, like the majority of the black people who occupy positions of power within it also play upon the whole strength of weakness um aspect 
Um, and it's very, very harmful for the black community. It's harmful for uh, civil liberty. And it's also psychologically like deleterious as well to have this strength of weakness become sort of entrenched and reified. And they have the same sort of brutal reaction whenever this strength of weakness thing is challenged because they're like, well, you're taking away our only avenue to... It's an existential threat, um, basically. Yeah, it's an existential threat. Um, And it's also a a threat to a very viable root of social capital as well. It's like, well, what else do we have? What else do we have other than this story? And it's very prevalent, especially in America, where chattel slavery is sort of how... um, the black experience is sort of um, reified, whereas in Europe, the majority of the black people are immigrants. Of course, we were under colonialism, um, but coloni- but it, you know the it, the immigrant narrative is a lot different from like four hundred years of like slavery type of thing, um, and that sort of narrative was obviously incredibly traumatizing. But now it's become such an integral part of the um, the identity of Black America in a way that is sort of transformed into this strength of weakness thing that's sort of being used to justify power. I mean, even the Biden inauguration, the whole thing was sort of drenched and steeped in images of black struggle. Um, and there's like, you know, it's so crime absurd. and it's fucking... It's so absurd. It's yeah, insane. It's, it's absurd. Mm. It's absurd. Yeah. Like, I just feel like it's so ludicrous that, uh, that like, I just feel like I'm living in, like, hyper-normalization on crack. Like, the idea that this bitch who, sorry for my language, but Kamala Harris is, like, and just this hideously punitive prosecutor who literally, like, authored and, like, championed and laughed about a bill that locked up working class back parents if their kids skip school like literally incarcerated yeah. people yeah. like yep. i like these these and she and and i watched the speeches and read all the old documentation on it because i was sort of stunned and literally her rationale behind it was that like because if you if you look at the statistics like people like kids who skip school have a tendency to end up in the car- carceral system and she's like, is that a coincidence? No. I'm like, wait, wait. She's literally using correlation as causation. Wow. And, and failing to recognize that actually maybe these things have, are like, tend to be more common among people who lack certain, like, very key, like, <laughs> capacities and resources. And instead it becomes like, oh, if you skip school, you end up in jail. Not like... If you happen to be impoverished, you're more likely to skip school and you're more likely to end up in jail. Instead, she just connects the two. I'm like, how can this person be in like a really high up position in society when she mixes up very basic premises like that? Like, what the beep? (laughs) Anyway, so like you have this woman who was, you know, she literally her office when she was attorney general of California, her office lobbied to keep... um, uh, prisoners incarcerated despite the fact that they were eligible for parole lobbied wow. to keep them incarcerated so they could fight wildfires in california yeah. because the state was short on resources to fight the wildfires biden is literally a clown like that's the thing that i find fascinating is like 
the leftoids want to portray him as somebody who has like actual racial animus and i don't think he does i think he's a dumbass boomer who's just like a gronk at times like right. you know when he says things like if you don't vote for me you ain't black it's like bitch please like are you serious like you're pushing it but for the most part like that's that it's not like racial animus isn't in any way necessary to do things that are incredibly um bad <laughs> for broad sections of like mm-hmm. um, african-american people but that ultimately mm. is actually a class thing like the um crime bill and and incarceration writ large um has had horrifying effects on african-americans because african-americans are woefully overrepresented in terms of working class and underclass like right it's not like it doesn't act this whole thing actually doesn't require personal racialized animus and so you can have exactly people like kamala and biden who say all the right woke platitudes and bullshit um and probably like don't have explicit animus i don't know i can't get in their heads but like these people's careers have been literally like one thing after another after another they're just like woefully abusive to extraordinary portions Mm. of like large numbers of african-americans and then just because they like i don't know why because they like let people burn shit down all summer that's like i guess that's fine (laughs) i don't know Sorry, I think your concept of anarcho-liberalism like really has explained so much for me, especially in the context of, as you were saying, of the riots being like fully endorsed by the entire Democratic Party establishment, like as some kind of summer of love. But like overall, it's been like really instructive in just understanding the way that power is decentralized to where like no one's accountable and just how the left fetishizes social breakdown because it then like allows them to take over some like administrative or bureaucratic functions of of society like and all of these things are in a way that they can't be challenged institutionally and so really like your analysis of that helped me to see like what's going on on a small scale is really like what the whole thing is like that's what's going on at a macro scale so like i'm sorry if it's pretty scary yeah like like that like and it just i don't know there's something so brutal in it because actually like at the base of all of these things like at the base of what happened at the capitol Mm. at the base of what was going on over the summer there are very real problems like but ultimately like a capitalist society i have trouble imagining how they can resolve these problems like people are going to feel increasingly alienated from their political system like their voice is not getting heard and so the Democrats just double down on that and say, actually, you're white supremacist, fascist scum, yeah. all 75 million mm-hmm, of you, mm-hmm. you know, which is like, mm-hmm. I might add and more they'll continue. votes than Obama got. Like the, the, this like population greater than the size of Obama's win in 2008, that these are all just like fascist, white supremacist scum. It's just like, what are you doing? Like mm-hmm. you can't demoralize mm-hmm. such a large portion of your public like that. Don't speak no. about people that way. No. But then at the base of the, on the other side, like, there's such a very real deprivation and um you know there are real problems police ultimately though are enacting class rule it's not the police like and and the fact that they're you know the fact that you end up electing a career prosecutor the author of the crime bill and sending twenty five thousand members of the national guard to the capital more than there were even in the civil war 
that you then like that this was the like no this was the abolish the police party it's just it the farce of it all mm-hmm. is so overwhelming yeah but, like, it is really it can't end anywhere good i don't think i think this natsex state no. narrative has been brewing for a very long time like for five six seven years on the left you see every time mm. a white guy commits mm. a crime they do this whole, if he was Muslim, if he was black, they would be saying horrible things. And on the one hand, like, that's sort of true. Like, I sure. sort of bought into that maybe five or six years ago. Like, yeah, that is a discrepancy. We should change yeah. that or whatever. But increasingly, it became very clear to me that actually, like, what they're saying is not that we should do better for everyone. It's actually, like, how come we're not abusing these white people, <laughs> basically? Yeah, like, exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It's it's one. It's like sort of this idea of equity in the excesses of like the capitalist system, rather than trying to sort of rectify the excesses of the capitalist system. So it's sort of you know a diverse ruling class, um, but also sort of a, a diverse kind of underclass as well. Um, it's all about sort of finding moral justifications for yeah. what we're currently. I don't even think they care under. anymore. I think it's literally just pure like. And I guess this is one of those things that's difficult to make a like forward facing argument that is just like on that is just like sort of like it sounds like a ad hominem, but whatever, I'll just say it. Like, I think the opportunism is um, just totalizing, like, it's it's pure opportunism. Mm -hmm. Like, the like the the rationalizations always come ad hoc and that they don't even they're not even trying to be consistent. The only thing that's consistent is that this faction wants power for them. So, like, they don't even need legitimation narratives anymore, is what you're saying, right? Like, around... I mean, they do and they don't. They only ever have within the petite bourgeois, right? Yeah. So, like, ideology only matters for the people for whom, like, have enough power for it to be problematic if they don't buy and perpetuate the ideology Mm. right so like the majority of working people don't buy into the majority of the ideology most of the time right so that's why like all this work tardy like you'll find that most working class people sure they might lean into aspects of it or whatever but they're the first ones to say like the whole system's bullshit they're all crooks like you know they love their neighbors who are from wherever race like you know what i mean like then that's and that's going to remain sort of regardless. I, I really hope that they don't, I mean, they're doing a lot of things to try to sort of enact that in material ways. So I think a lot of this sort of compulsory diversity indoctrination in working class, like workplaces and stuff, um, that's a very real attempt to sort of like materially sort of enforce um, <laughs> methods as sort of like ideological conditioning that like makes people suspicious of one another like actually like working class people suspicious of one another and like mm. engage with their sort of colleagues in a way that is racialized um mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i think for the most part like ultimately it's really about that like that upper petty bourgeois contingent um and because they managed to sort of do such a good job of colonizing there's a kind of civil society sphere where they've got like all of these NGOs, they've got academia, they've got the media, um, they've got the colleges, mm. um, you know, because they have such a stranglehold on all of these institutions that dictate the narrative. Um, the fact that there happens to be, I guess, like a 30%, you know, 20% of the 
petite bourgeois that are dissenters, if they can make it so that anyone who dissents from the woke tide ideology um, has to fear for their life, fear for their livelihood rather, fear for their jobs, fear, mm-hmm. fear for their social sphere, at a certain point mm-hmm. it just becomes easier to go along to get along. And I think once yeah. you start going along to get along, that's actually when you eventually start believing it too because we sort of are what we do. Um, and if you just sort of like yeah. – a lot of people just like switch off to most of it, but that also means that they're not – consciously sort of like combating the yeah the common sense of it in real time yeah. either mm. so they all sort of like absorb aspects of it or whatever even if they're not like you know enforcing them and ultimately with this kind of thing like because i think it is quite tyrannical like it doesn't need everyone instituting the tyrannical ideology or engaging with it or policing it it just needs a contingent of that petty bruge to like just be like head down, tail up, doing my thing. And all it actually takes is a pretty, like a vocal minority to do like this insane stuff. That's why whenever they said like, oh, mostly peaceful protests. I looked up the stats the other day. Yeah, only five, uh, I think it was something like five or 7% of the protests turned violent. But there was something like 5,000 protests. So what we're talking about is like, let's say, what you're talking about hundreds of violent riots. Wow. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So like at the end, and um, there was more damage done just in Minnesota than there was in all of Watts riots in 68 where the entire National Guard was brought in. Like the thing I find, wow. found so fascinating is the extent to which just like the state itself was neither, I guess neither willing nor able. I guess they were able, like they could have, but they were just not able in a political sense to um put any of this down without like um possibly destroying trump's chance at re-election so he had to just like stand there like an idiot or i don't know that he had to but he certainly that was the decision he took um just while this shit was going on for months Mm. and months that's it scares me when a capitalist state is behaving like that because it's such a like novel thing for them to be so like for the, it to be beneficial to be wreaking that much destruction um, is very scary to me, I think. Well, Amy, it was, it's been so fucking <laughs> fascinating to have you on and we have to have you on again. Um, like your insights are amazing and uh, you definitely oh, helped you don't inspire need to butter both me up, Fergie. It's no, it's fine. It's, it's, you, you deserve it. It's yeah, good. You absolutely but you definitely do. helped oh. uh, both yeah, you you and Fergie, you helped Fergie and I definitely get a get a lot more clarity in terms of what we were intuitively feeling, and yeah. you, your kind of braveness in the public sphere also gave us the courage to be more brave ourselves. So, uh, thank you. That makes I know me you don't really get happy. Credit credit. No, that's <laughs> nice because I because I I saw like when I was uh, like I. Angela had a really similar impact on me and even Anna, even though like we're friends rather, you Mm. know, like I think that's sort of like what you can do is sort of try to, I don't know, it just, that makes me happy. Like I don't really care about like a big credit or whatever, but yeah, like it was nice being able to say to you guys, okay, this is what's up. They do, they've done this before. Like hopefully, you know, at least maybe you can learn something from the craziness that they did so that you don't have to like sort of go into it, you know, quite as 
unaware of what they're up to you know that's good that's nice i like mm-hmm. that <laughs> it's true and and it's helping and, and you, you it's not just helping us it's helping others who are coming up behind and who don't necessarily understand and all kinds of things so it's 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 invaluable work and and it's really it's really been been a treasure would you like to let people well, they know want us they to be alone you, you don't been... need to you you know yeah. you don't have to be alone like we don't need to be atomized exactly. or alienated. Actually, there are good people who disagree with this. Most people disagree with all Absolutely. this tyranny, and they're good and kind and like caring people who, are, like, are not just these evil, like, bad people. Like, and and I think sort of doing stuff together as much as we can sort of demonstrates that, like, actually, this isn't just like one or two just horrible people. Actually, we're just like nice, normal people, and maybe yeah. we have something yep. worth listening to. We need to, to collectivize you know? more. Like, we need to get together more and speak loudly mm, and often and big time. yeah just show them that they can't big bury time. people like poppy and i really just want to never let them forget what they did to people like you and angela like it's so unbelievably brutal and fucked up and it's like no motherfuckers like you're not gonna forget this i'm sorry <laughs> fuck you, <laughs> fuck you guys. yeah yeah fuck that and all um, of us all of us have all of you guys have uh, names that begin with A as well, um, I, <laughs> which I'm is also interesting. And yeah. also the weird, also the weird sort of like tacit, sort of socially endorsed sexism of it is something that always slides under the radar. But you know, once I know, you and I can't are, talk about yeah. it without them going, oh, "No, you pull doing it, you, need you hypocrite." Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm like, same yeah, here. But it, okay. Yep. Same here. Same mm. here when it comes to race as well. Like the amount of just like fucking racialized shade that is thrown at me on like a 24-7 basis by these people. But like if I talk about it, it's like, oh, you're doing an impulse, you're playing the race card or whatever. But like, you know, it takes a certain amount of strength to really face this shit for what it is. Because like you said, mm. most people either just go along to get along or they just sort of ignore it. So like kudos to to everyone who including you who's like sort of taking on this behemoth it's very 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 important work but would you like to let people know where they can find you um i know that you've recently been yeeted off twitter again by a fucking asshole (laughs) but let people know um do do the plugs do the plugs (laughs) oh yeah sure sure um so my uh podcast is called what's left you can find us like on spotify and uh um itunes and all those places um i think we're on twitter at at what's left cast i believe um and then we're also on twitch now as well we've been doing quite a bit of twitch streaming which is like i can get all my rants out at the very least like on twitch if like even if i can't on on twitter for the minute this my like morning rant will have to take place on Twitch. So, um, but you can always just go to www.amyamweterese.com and that'll just redirect you to our Patreon. So you'll be able to see like what we're up to and follow the links and stuff. Awesome, awesome. I and hopefully the spect the specter that haunts the left will be back on Twitter soon fucking shit up um but yeah uh, unfortunately you have to get around all this like red tape uh it's so it's so shit yeah um but yeah thank you thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate all of your insights well, thank and you for having me listening, make that sure was you... awesome thank you yeah, thank you so much thank you so much and bye everyone in the audience bye. Bye. bye thank you so bye. much that was great thank you bye <laughs>